Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresInc.net. I'm John Clebby, host, and with me today from Microsoft Australia. Welcome, Wei Lu. Hey, Wei. It's hey, Sean. Are hey. you enjoying Microsoft so far? <laughs> I am, actually, yeah. Everyone's been super nice and stuff. So. Right, cool. Yeah, it's great. Let's bring on a guest. Let's welcome Anthony Trad. Welcome, Anthony. Hi, guys. Love to be here. And hey. uh, congrats, Wei. <laughs> Good. Thanks, Anthony. All right, Anthony, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into development, and how you get into doing uh, .NET? Okay, so I'm a senior software engineer. I'm mainly now an independent consultant in France. So I take on uh, diverse projects for short periods of time uh, to, to help and consult. So I started my development journey at a quite young age. My dad was in IT, so he would bring back PCs and uh, routers and everything that uh, an IT does. So I would learn from him while doing things. Later on, I started to, I, I got into development into websites. So I started building portfolios for my friends at school. So I was the geek friends who would you ask to repair your computer? And of course, for free. So later on, I got into university and to and started working as a software developer and uh, here we are. So regarding .NET, I started main I started first with Java. I learned Java at school and university. So later on, I started searching for a job and in my job hunt, I found .NET position. The C sharp position, and at the time, like Java and C sharp were fierce competitors and very, very similar. So I took the, the .NET job, and uh, I absolutely loved it. So I think it was the .NET framework uh, 3.5. Hey, folks! This is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com/podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, I think it's very common for all of us developers to be that that friend that's on speed dial for whenever something breaks. And either your parents or your family members or your other friends that aren't very tech savvy, whenever they need help, it's always us to the rescue. And yep. of course, no that's charge. <laughs> yes, and basically it's not part of our scope, but uh, we do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Every time I go home, I um, like my you know, as soon as I walk through the door, my mum will have a million questions about her phone. How do I do this on my phone? How to do that? <laughs> like, just got stuck here. Like, yeah. so happy to help. And they would love up to, uh, to take our take on bitcoins and privacy, like we were some uh, 
like we, we would have a different opinion than the rest of the people. So. All right. So I think we're going to discuss an article that you wrote for Medium, and it dealt with the repository pattern and actually specifically, you know, why you shouldn't use the repository pattern in, in .NET. So can you kind of give us a, the, the start, the, the introduction to what is the repository pattern? Yes. So the repository pattern is very simply an abstraction of the data objects, like from an interface. So basically, when you want to call your database, you call you call a repository instead of directly calling it. And this rep- this implementation of the repository would, would call the database. So uh, in our case, if we have a customer's repository, the implementation of this repository would be the select queries to get the customers or add, edit, or delete. Microsoft defines that as a class that encapsulates logic required to access data. So that's a short definition of a repository. It's like Entity Framework, but much, much more simple. Simpler. Okay, so it's it's not really the implementation of it of Entity Framework, but it's kind of how you interact with it. You're, you're yep. calling a, a layer that's in between your application layer and the actual database calls. Yep, it's exactly that. Like Entity Framework have changed trackers, lazy loading, a lot of stuff, but a repository, it's just... It's basically the same as if you created a, an inner list and you implemented an in-memory list. So you would do that by creating an interface and abstracting your add and edit and get. So it's practically the same. Yeah, I think a lot of developers that have been around a while, even before any framework came out, might have had like N-tier or three-tier design where you've got your interface, you've got your business logic, and then you've got your database layer below that. And yep. so be interfacing through all those would be this pattern. Okay, it sounds like a good pattern to me. Yep, but in uh, in this modern world, if you use it everywhere, it's basically uh, you're shooting, sometimes you're shooting yourself in the foot with the fact that basically now most of our amps have all the, the functionalities you need to, and they are already an abstraction. So sometimes you don't have to use the repository pattern. And when you don't have to use it and you use it anyway, it can trigger like a lot of, problems in testing and maintainability. So I wrote this article to address that. I heard years ago that basically Entity Framework was already a repository pattern and a unit of work pattern. And yeah, like if you, you can put an extra layer on top of it, but it just adds to the, like the complex the complexity of it. It's basically, that's one of the most convincing argument for me. Basically, if we, if we need to abstract the ORM, which is already an abstraction, that we then we should abstract every dependency in our in our application. We should abstract the logger, we should abstract everything because you basically in our .NET community we are known for over engineering things, and this argument proved that we sometimes does it for without any actual benefit. Like the benefit of abstracting the the ORMs like Entity Framework and Dapper if is that only you can swap between them but uh, how much did you swap ORMs in in your project like uh, I saw a lot of projects and in my experience it's it's very 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 rare yeah I always hear that argument as well like about abstraction and because one day you might swap out your database but like yeah I I can't recall ever a pro- being on a project where we have to swap out a database and it was a trivial process 
Um, anyway, so I think you'd have more more than one thing to worry about than just your you know your, your data layer. Yes, if you have to do that. That's so. definitely it. And also, if you're swapping database, for example, if you're swapping from SQL to to you're, you're migrating, for example, to the cloud and you're swapping uh, SQL to uh, to Cosmos DB. So basically, you would have to re if you would do it right, you would have to re-conceptualize all your entities because SQL works in a different way than Cosmos. So you have a non-relational database, a sort key, a partition key. Like There's a lot of things going on that would trigger you to rethink on how your entities are stored and fetched. So basically, if you're abstracting that away, you're forcing your application to not break when you're changing your database, but that would that would add a lot of errors and uh, performance issues when when implementing and migrating to your new database because you're forcing the the application to to call things in a specific abstract way that cannot be common to all the database providers in our code base so that's kind of what what solid design calls for you know interface everything so you can swap in and out and and also for testing yes but i think solid principles were created more for extending your code and knowing when, whenever you know that you would need to swap this uh, this thing to this equivalent, yeah, then yeah, I would maybe use something like a repository pattern, but in a much more specific and strongly typed way because I know from where to when I'm switching from and to. But if if I every time I need to do to write code, I need to abstract everything that I do. Basically, most of our, our applications now are in a microservices context where each microservice should be very easy to understand, does not manipulate a lot of entities, maybe one or two tables. So basically, rewriting the whole microservice does not take long, in fact. And I found myself, Amy, um, I found myself like choosing to rewrite the whole microservice because of these abstractions and because every time you should you swap or modify an infrastructure dependency, you would have to, if you want to optimize, you would have to go back and forth without knowing what actually break broke. So I found myself rewriting the whole thing as a better solution. So if we shouldn't use the repository pattern, are you are you saying we should use a different pattern or no pattern at all? You go directly to... No, what, store queries what? or what? <laughs> no, not at all. If you're using store queries, then yes, you'd use a repository pattern. But I'm more talking about the more standard now um, development where if you have entity framework in your application, then generally you don't need the repository pattern. I find only two scenarios now that I would consider using the repository pattern. One, if you're applying DDD and CQRS, DDD is domain-driven design where you give the power to the entities. So the basically, it's saying that the entity is responsible or the aggregate is responsible of handling its state. So every state change in this object would require to, to communicate with the database. And you cannot add your business database logic inside the domain that would be very cohesive 
So I would maybe do a repository pattern. Maybe another case would be that just if I don't have any, I should only have one abstraction. If it's entity framework core, then it's great. But if uh, if it's another ORM, it's also great. But I don't, I shouldn't cascade like uh, abstractions. I would also maybe use it if I am switching, if I am doing QRS and I'm using multiple ORMs at the same time. For example, I came across a project where they were using Dapper for uh, for queries for reading data and Entity Framework for writing data. So uh, because each one was uh, more performant in uh, in his area, so uh, they basically th- their solution was to do the repositories because they have multiple ORMs and inside the same application at the same using while using them at the same time. So maybe I would consider repository pattern in this case, but the problem that I am addressing if you want is that you should not use it. The problem now is that people tell you why you should not use it unless proven otherwise. But really it should come to mind whenever it's needed. I don't know if you understand my point, but basically you can't just use it everywhere. I think I do. But basically you're saying don't use it unless you yeah. have to, right? I, t- I think I tend to agree. Like, I, I guess in my, you know, I've seen a lot of code bases and I've seen so many code bases where like the repository pattern is literally just a copy of all of the link queries. Yeah. Like there'll be like a get or something like that and it just goes and just fetches the, the data. It just ex- does exactly what um, NT Framework is already doing and you're just adding an extra layer for no yep, reason. Yes, that's 100% that. So basically, that's uh, that was the aim of the article and very sadly, it's very common now um, along with a lot of other libraries like Mediator and controllers and a lot of stuff that you, if you ask developers on your team why are you using this technology, they will tell you because it's more clean. Uh, because I'm applying clean code, because I'm applying this and this principle. For me, you can't just use a principle blindly without without knowing if it's actually you're getting the benefits out of this pattern or, or out of this principle. So I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, why did you start Raygun? You know, I, I started Raygun. It was actually our 11th product that we built. So, you know, if you're a fellow software engineer thinking you want to build something and build a business, this was the 11th try. Right. And we built it because way back when I was writing more code for customers, I used to instrument my code to send an email to myself when something went wrong. And it would let me kind of get in front of the issue before the customer complained. And so we built a a whole product called Raygun for crash reporting initially. Uh, It expanded out into other areas, but it was really just building a full solution to what I'd been doing years earlier to try and build better software. I love that. Just scratching your own itch. It makes a ton of sense. And and I do that too with some of the stuff that I'm doing, either with podcasting or programming. Yeah, absolutely. The The most awkward thing was when we actually instrumented some of those prior 11 products. And that's when we realized that about 1% of users will ever actually report an issue. And you go, oh, we might have been a lot more successful earlier if we'd known that. <laughs> so that's kind of the whole value prop of Raygun. Yep, absolutely. And it, it makes sense just to put it in there. So folks, if you're looking to try something like this that will tell you what your problems are, go check out raygun.com and get a free trial. I wonder what Uncle Bob Martin would have to, to say about this. <laughs> For those listeners not uh, familiar with, with Uncle Bob Martin, just yeah, just Google it. You'll find out about all of his clean code, things like that. So he's out there and doing that. So without the repository pattern, if we're going to try to limit that as much as possible, what's that do for testing? Okay. So for testing, let's say you're not using the repository pattern. If you're uh, if you're using uh, an ORM like Entity Framework, 
you you should just plug an in-memory database. So in testing in general, what people that are using repository pattern, they have generally two solutions. Either do manually the in-memory database, like doing an implementation of a list of this repository and plugging it in the tests, or mocking the repository pattern directly, like saying, whenever I get, I trigger this function, give me the static result regardless what's uh, what's happening inside. So uh, these two solutions for me are just a bit of an overkill and an ORM is easily, basically you're recreating an ORM. So Entity Framework, you can just install the NuGet package and click the use in-memory database and you're all set. But if if you want to test your repositories, you should do the separate implementation and but you can achieve that basically you can you can achieve the same testability but for me repository pattern would trigger some extra work because if it didn't trigger some extra work for me the tests are not as scoped as they should be yeah i find most of the time i use the in memory database to do my testing i find that if i'm just mocking the the call like most of my logic is generally like or a large part of my logic is actually in the actual database call. So if I'm just mocking it, I'm not actually testing the right thing anyway. Yep. And so. uh, let's say you you are mocking a complex database call, you will find yourself creating the logic inside the mocking because you're basically just mirroring what your code should return in the, fo- the format of your return type. And b- when this return type is a bit complex or trigger mo- or needs multiple instruction, you'll find that the test you are doing is actually a mirror of the code inside that you are testing. So the test, if you want, is not flexible at all and it loses its purpose. It's not behavior-driven. It's not uh, ever, because like the test will fail if you change anything in the function, but it, w- it is not testing the very output or the behavior that should be tested inside a unit test or an integration test. I think just one thing though we do need to keep in mind is that the in-memory database doesn't always behave the same as the, the real database. I think that's probably the, the only thing, just because it doesn't have like um, like foreign foreign key constraints. So it's designed to be to be fast, right? So yeah, but uh, in this modern world, if you're not happy with the modern in-memory database, you can we can just spin up a Docker image and achieve the same result if you want. So for me, for Very me true. now, and also com- combining this with the simplicity that microservices should be like i don't know about you but in my cloud project each microservice does not touch more than two or three entities so basically you're and most of them are like rod based or event based and are easily rewritten so and modified so i in this case i don't find the solid principles i don't find that the solid principles should be applied to the latter like if i am more in a monolithic big chunky application then yes i wouldn't want to touch my existing code because i don't know what i'm breaking but if i am in a microservice in a very defined and small scope then and i have packed my code with unit testing and integration testing very well built test pyramid then i'm not scared to change an existing piece chunk of code because I know that I will not be putting regressions or problems inside my application, and I would keep my code very simple and very optimized for the use case. So, can you think of anything else uh, as far as patterns, and in, 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 you know, not not specifically the repository pattern that that you find that people are implementing wrong or shouldn't be using? Yes, I can think of the specification pattern, for example. 
let's say let's say you I I am I am continuing with the scenario of the repository pattern. The problem is uh, one of the problem of the repository pattern is that w- because you're not you're not you're basically database or ORM agnostic. You should uh, to optimize each query. You should create a different function inside the repository pattern. Now, whenever you have this kind of behavior, there's a pattern called called the specification pattern. The specification pattern basically is telling it's basically just a filter. So you instead of having ten functions that filters the customers in a specific way, you just create one function with a, one function with an expression, and this expre- expression will be will be translated to your ORM or your database call and use it. So basically. I, uh, the problem with this implementation is that developers tend to do this specification pa- pattern in a very general and very, uh, very broad way. So what would happen is that inside the implementation of the specification pattern or the repository itself, you would find yourself copy-pasting a bunch of code that are common across multiple entities or mar- multiple actions. And uh, basically, that's violating one of the principles, which is dry. Don't repeat yourself. So um, that's uh, this is another pattern that I don't find that is very common in our industry. And I don't find it very useful unless used in a very small and niche case. So that's it. I have a lot of pattern. If you want, I can speak. Um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Please so, do. So, Please so, do. <laughs> do you like ORMs or not like ORMs? I like them, but I like them basically. If uh, for me, there, there's a ba- these are a better option than abstracting your own repository pattern. But I find that ORM are slightly now because now we're more into cloud providers and uh, cloud native applications. We're basically we're basically sticking to Cosmos DB, Dynamo DB, whatever cloud provider we have. So I don't think that in the future they will be very much relevant because uh, everything will be in the cloud. But uh, something on premises, I have no problem using an, an ORM. But wouldn't you still need some sort of? Well, would you? Wouldn't you need still need some sort of like strongly typed object in your in your code to to be able to call any of these objects in the Cosmos DB? Or would you recommend against no, that? No, I would. No, I would advise separating the persisted entities if it's in Cosmos or Dynamo or or any ORM or provider. But for me, yes. I find that I find it useful to to separate what is persisted from what is used, like in the business logic. But I maybe in a more prototypey or very basic application, I would not do it. But in general, I would opt for this separation because I know that uh, what uh, what is stored isn't necessarily what we want to display or what we want to do our actions on. So this separation for me, uh, I find it very useful on multiple cases. Okay, I can think of another library or pattern, the mediator pattern. I don't know if you're familiar with the mediator library. I've used it. Like, yeah, yeah I've used it before. But yeah, what's your opinion? I on really it? love it, the library. <laughs> like, I love the work that Jimmy does. Shout out to Jimmy if he's listening. But uh, in fact, this this pattern is one of the things I, uh, that you see everywhere without any like backing reason on why you should do it. So most of my projects now use Mediator. If you ask the tech lead on the project, he will tell you because it's more clean, because I want to structure my code in in the more uh, endpoint, in a more uh, divided way. And I get that. 
like it's called vertical slices. But if you follow through this argument, you will find that he's using an a unit of work pattern like the repository afterwards. So basically your code your code schema would go divided by commands, by queries, by features in, in the mediated library and would, would bottleneck later on in a unit of work pattern in the repositories. So would, you would have a customer repository at the same time that you would have a net customer endpoint, a netted customer endpoint, add delete that are very separated and you just remerge all of this code all all of this inside a unit of work so i find it a bit odd and uh, i i think jimmy intended to use it in a specific scenario i like i saw what the idea behind mediator but i think it is very commonly misused now in our industry it should not be like very very common in our apis at least from my side yeah totally totally agree yeah, I think there's a. I think when there's so many of these things out there, it's very easy to, I guess, over-engineer your your stack, uh, yep. isn't it? Sometimes well, our we as a .NET developer, we are known for over-engineering things. In fact, in the community, so whenever I talk to some Java or Python developer, they tell me like I. They tell me how each and every time they look at, on a .NET solution, they don't understand it because of the magic that is going behind. For example, um, the concept of middlewares in our APIs, I find it also that we're also overusing this for our errors handling and everything. So for me, the biggest example would be if you were to onboard a new software engineer with another language development stack like Python or Java, how much would you need to explain to him on how .NET works? And each, and uh, for me, it's a lot depending on the project. If you have to explain the middlewares, the startup and the program.cs, then uh, the mediator, then the repository, then the ORM, <laughs> the change tracker of entity framework, the lazy loading, everything, you'd find yourself like, we have uh, we have built a lot and the the context where we need to use all of this is very niche. So for me, if you look at Express or on, or on how they are doing the API, it's now the new minimal APIs in .NET. So basically, even the community now felt that you don't have to go above and beyond every time. If you're doing a prototype or you're in a microservice, very basic microservice, you don't have to do all of this. So Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the, the big emergence of you know, JavaScript and even even TypeScript. I think the fact that with object-oriented programming, one of its weaknesses is that it is it can be complex. There can be a lot of um, extra boilerplate code, and the the barriers to entry for for .NET can be a lot higher than you know some of the more simple languages. Yep, so. but I also find that Microsoft is evolving a lot. Like if you remember Microsoft two years ago, .NET or C Sharp two years ago, you would literally think now that is a completely different language. You have so much and so many ways to do things and so many changes that you would need to relearn everything from scratch. Like if you now you forgot uh, later, okay, on the older days, you forgot Owen. Now you passed to, to the Microsoft hosting later on Entity Framework Core, later on Cosmos DB, the, like source generators, minimal APIs. There's a lot of stuff going on, so you should you you should keep yourself updated. And I do I find that Microsoft is changing a lot comparing to other languages, which is very positive because it's following the community. Like there there was a lot of features in the 
issue tracker of GitHub that Microsoft decided not to implement because of the feedback of the community, like the famous, uh, what's it called? The bang bang operator. Basically, you just have to do two exclamation marks and it would, uh, it would add an if condition implicitly to throw if, uh, to, to throw an argument uh, null exception. I don't know if you guys heard about it. Yeah, definitely the pace of C Sharp and .NET over the years, especially with you know .NET Core has, has really accelerated over the years. And Microsoft is addressing some of these issues and trying to make um, C Sharp a little bit more easier to, to use. So it's good. I've worked with Jimmy Bogart on a, on a past project, so I'm going to have to uh, reach out to him and you know tell him to listen to this episode when it, <laughs> once it gets out there. So. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit controversial, isn't it? <laughs> I really love the Machete library. Like I used it a lot, but just it's just a small opinion that you should not use it everywhere. That's it. It's not it's not throwing hate on the library. I absolutely love it. It's very basic. <laughs> I'm sure he would I'm sure he would I think I think context matters, right? That's probably the, the lesson we need to learn. Like context matters. It's it's you know, the, the you've mentioned this before. The rights the right pattern is not always gonna be the right pattern in every single situation, yep. you know. They so. they are basically just tools. You can't expect a knife to cut through everything. So you just have to know when to use them. Yeah, I, I think Jimmy would agree totally because you know even even with like AutoMapper, he says it's not right for every every case and things like that. So yeah, he's came up some with some really nice things for the community and and good things all at all the time. And but uh, he will be the first to agree that yeah, don't just use it for everything. It, it's probably one of the problems of success, right? When you when you build something that's that's big enough, people will find ways to use it in the wrong way. Yes. You know? so. And also when you're backed by the open source community, basically anyone can fork your library and find a use case that is not very common and issue a pull request and ask you to like triggle that for every each and every person using this library. So basically, it's very hard to maintain what should be in and what should be out a library or a pattern and how how well scoped the thing must be used like uh, i think automapper like at the end you can do so many things that i i don't know about now because like you can there was so many uh, so many enhancements in this library that you can't keep track of what you can do and what you cannot do well, that's great, Anthony. I think I'm just about out of time today for today. So I think I'm going to push us into picks, if that's all right with you. Okay. Um, yep. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So uh, I guess I will go first. And my wife and I were, were always like, there's nothing on, there's nothing on. And we got all these streaming surfaces and there's still nothing on. We finally came up with something that has actually been out for a year or two and we've been enjoying it. We, we like fantasy type series and we found on Netflix the series uh, Shadow and Bone. Are you familiar with that way? 
Yes, I watched it. No? I've yeah. Heard of it. <laughs> uh, you should definitely check it out. You know, it's a fantasy series. It's about a girl that uh, really doesn't know that she's got special powers and things like that. And then they, they finally found out that she's kind of like the chosen one for this type of power. And, and it's kind of set in kind of an older time period is what it feels like. So if you like fantasy series and things like that, it's kind of like you know a lot of other fantasy series that were on on Netflix. So if you like things like Witcher or uh, what else, like Sweet Tooth or Cursed or something like that, then this would be something that you probably like. I do like Sweet Tooth actually. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll give it a watch. All right, what's your pick? Why? All right, so this week my pick's probably a little bit kind of maybe not as exciting as a TV show. Um, it's on um, heat pump dryers. So I recently bought like a new washing machine and dryer set and like we've had we've had dryers before but i, I kind of always felt guilty about turning the dryer on because like it uses just so much electricity but they've got these like heat pump dryers now and like they're like they use like basically half the, the electricity cost so yeah we just recently bought one and i think i'll i'll actually be using it all the time because um in canberra right now it's, it's so cold that you can't really hang your clothes outside so we just had like clothes horses all over the house just um hanging in our clothes so it's nice to have a dryer. Well, uh, yeah, my wife and I just bought a new <laughs> washer dryer as, as well about a week, week or two ago, you know. So it's just got it set yeah. up brand new. But I didn't even know about a heat pump dryer. Never heard of that. Yeah. They're a little bit more expensive, but I there's like a calculator and I think I did some calculations for and it says like if you use if you buy the heat pump dryer, you'll you know, you'll save significantly more over the long term. Okay, cool. So Anthony, what's your pick? I actually have two picks. So for the first death pick, I would pick a project called Cocona. I don't know if you know about it. Basically, if you're using .NET and you want to prototype or do small applications, like I used Cocona for for manipulating uh, some IoT devices in my house. So basically, the idea is you install this Cocona dependency and you will get just like an API, but for a console application, you get dependency injection, middlewares, custom arguments, everything you can do with Cocona is very easy, very simple to to get started with. So uh, I would pick Cocona as my first dev pick. And for my second dev pick, it's basically a tool for uh, for a MacBook. So I recently bought a MacBook and uh, I have been sticking a lot with Windows, so I didn't know how to manipulate stuff. But uh, the, an advantage of this uh, accessory is that you can easily plug, convert the Type-C port to the to a MacSafe port. So you can you can charge your MacBook from a Type C device with with using the MagSafe switch. So it's really convenient if you're on a train or someone stepped in your uh, on your laptop or on your charger. So it's really you would only need to 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 carry on one single charger and uh, and just a conv- a small converter that will convert it to a MagSafe charger. So it's really great. So as a .NETer with a MacBook. Are you like coding in VS Code? Okay. So I, when I was on Windows, I used the Visual Studio for most of my life. But uh, whenever when I got my Mac, I started on VS Code, but I didn't like it enough. So I bought JetBrains Rider, and I'm enjoying it. So I would re- uh, really recommend JetBrains Rider if you are familiar familiar with it. So okay, nice one, Anthony. If our uh, listeners have questions and they wouldn't get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Twitter, LinkedIn. So that's uh, that are the main channels that I'm active on. What's your Twitter handle? Anthony D. Trad. I will attach it to the show notes. Okay. Yep. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. 
So if our listeners want to reach out to the show and give us feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Did it. Did it. <laughs> Not bad. Wait. All right. Thanks, everybody. Great show. Yeah. We'll catch everybody else in the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.